This morning's passage is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, the very end of the very first book of the New Testament. There are Bibles in the pews in front of you. It's also going to be on the screen. We're going to be reading verses 16 through 20, finishing the book. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Morning, everybody. Good to see you all. If you haven't been with us, we're completing a five-part series today on our vision, mission, and core values as a church. So four weeks ago, Ross talked about our vision, that we exist as a church to glorify God by multiplying worshipers of Jesus and healthy churches in the Twin Cities and beyond. And then Sam talked about, what what are we going to do to get there? We're going to follow Jesus in everyday life and help all kinds of people do the same. That discipleship is an all-encompassing call to follow Jesus with everything that we are. And then we switched. We took the the high-level vision and and the vehicle mission to our core values. Ross talked about our first core value, be with the Father. That's first on purpose. Before we go and do things for God, we have to be with God, to have a thriving relationship with God. And then Sam talked about, or Scott talked about, love his family last week. That God has love in himself. He doesn't need us for that love. He has it in himself. He pours it out in Jesus, and he calls us to spread it in this body and beyond. And so today, we're going to look at the last one, Make Disciples. If you missed any of those sermons, I just tell you to go check them out on the website, um, because they're available there. If if you've never been to the website, just ask somebody, and maybe they have. So if you're unfamiliar with this passage, this is the Great Commission. It's a very, very popular passage. Um, Jesus has just died, come back to life, that's a big moment, and he approaches his disciples to give them one final speech, one final word before he goes into heaven. And and this this is the command he gives. It's a very important moment in Jesus' ministry. And this command is a really simple command, okay? So you don't need a seminary degree. You don't need to have all these decades of pastoral ministry experience to understand what we're going to talk about today. It's very simple. And yet, I think it's one of the most disobeyed, unapplied commands in the entire Bible. We don't, by nature, want to go disciple other people, do we? We want to be discipled, right? We don't want to pursue other people. We want to be pursued. And yet here we have Jesus telling us to go and pursue other people with the gospel. At best, I think discipleship scares us, and at worst, I think it disinterests us. 
And so today, I want to press into it. I want you to be honest with me wherever you're at. If it scares you to pursue people, I want you to stop for a moment and look at God's word and find strength and power and encouragement in God's word. This is a beautiful thing. We're going to find that today, okay? Avoiding discipleship, using excuses in our own head that we found acceptable is not the path to life, church. It's a lie to believe that not pursuing people is better than pursuing people for Jesus. It's just a lie. If you're living in that lie, I pray God snaps that out of you today. It's better. It's better. It's maybe harder, but it's definitely better. So today, I'm just going to invite you, don't come with fear. Don't come with anxiety. Come with hunger. Know that you have a good Father in heaven who cares for you and wants your life to be abundant and to be spread to other people. That's where we're coming today. I'm going to pull the Great Commission apart into four pieces, okay? That's the simple structure. We're going to walk walk through four separate pieces, and then we're going to tie it together. So let's pray, and then we'll jump in. God, I I ask you, God, that we would come hungry that we would realize that staying in the shallow part of the water is not better. It's not okay just to define what's good and bad apart from you. We need to seek you. We need to rely on you, Lord. I just pray for that, Lord. I pray that you would send us. Those who are already going, God, I pray that you would put wind in their sails. Those who are sitting on the sideline, I, I pray that you put them in the game. And I pray that it would be bigger than just this church, God. It would be bigger than just this neighborhood or this city. I pray that it would be for the world. Give us a huge, huge vision for what you want to do. I pray all this in Jesus' awesome name. Amen. If you have your Bible, turn to Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Again, these are the final verses. Jesus died. He's come back to life. And we're going to pick up right in verse 16. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So the first piece I want to point out is community. Community. The great commission of the risen Jesus is not to a bunch of solo lone rangers. It's not just for you and you and you and you. It's for us, right? That's what we see here. And it it echoes everything Jesus did in his ministry, If you're unaware, Jesus lives in community, he ministers in community, and now he sends out his community. This is the pattern he gives us. God, though he could do it alone, did it together. That's important. And I want you to realize that the Bible is not, we don't just read the Bible with us in view. Don't read this passage just with you, your life as the only uh, scope here. We need each other. We, you, and I are distinctly wired differently by God to fulfill different aspects of the mission. You don't have to be everything, Christian. You do not have to be everything on the mission. You'll be part of it. That's important. We complement each other. The Great Commission is a we, not a me command. Okay? I want you to hear that. It's a we, not a me command. So what that means, just on the ground, we'll we'll get into this, but it means that practically you can invite your DNA and your neighbors over at the same time because maybe God wants to use different connections or different relationships to open doors for the gospel that you just couldn't with your neighbors. Maybe Maybe you ask some people for your MC to go help a coworker move 
or work on some house projects. That, could, that can make it easier to invite them to, to learn more about Jesus because they know people. Community is together. It's not just an idea. It's, it's on the ground. And then look at verse 17 here. And when they saw him, saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So Jesus doesn't simply make this a group effort. He gives us a picture of what kind of group it is. Some in this small community worshipped the risen Jesus when they saw him. What does it say? Some doubted. Some doubted. I wrestled with this one this week because it's a little weird. They're actually on a mountain. This is a mountaintop moment. And then all of a sudden you just have this like quick like throw in. Hey, some worship, some doubted. And then it's back to this mega kind of command. But I think, I think Jesus wants to comfort us with this phrase, with this picture. The, the Great Commission is a huge call, right? Huge. Go to the ends of the earth and make disciples of everybody. <laughs> It's a big call. And we're tempted, you and I are tempted to think that, that this is only for great Christians with great faith, aren't we? Like, it's, like for the super Christians, this makes sense. You read this, you go, wow, I know that, you know, this is good for, for that person and that person, but I'm not there. Like you, you and me, we're still messy, right? We're still in process. If you're sitting here right now going, that's not me. I read those, those verses and that's not me, God. I think that's why this is here right now. Read it again. Some worshiped and some doubted. These are the 11 closest followers of Jesus that he's talking to. This is not just a random group of people. These are the people he lived every day with. And they're a mixed bag. They saw all of his miracles. They learned all of his teaching. They watched him die. They're, here he is alive again in front of them, and they're still going, gosh, is this, really, is this really it? Is that really him? Did that really happen? Is this legit? They're in process. So that's what I want you to think about, that this happens as a community, and this community is imperfect and in process. You don't have to have great faith to follow the Great Commission. You have to know the great king of the Great Commission. Okay? That's just an invite. Nobody gets off on this command because it's not about you, it's about Jesus. So that's point number one. Piece number one, community. Second piece, command. Making disciples is not optional. This is not an opt-in sermon. If you're here, if you're following Jesus, this isn't one of those, well, I wonder if I should do this. Let's clear that up. You are supposed to do this. Okay? Read, read verse 19. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. We tend to read the commands of Scripture as, like, either some archaic Old Testament rule that doesn't really apply to us, Right? Or some, like, suggestion, if possible, from comfy Jesus, right? Like, it's one of the two. We, we don't sit with commands really well. We don't handle them really well. But I want you to see, I want you to see 
that these words are a command. They're not optional. You're either pursuing people, pushing towards people, or you're disobeying. That's reality. And what we want to do, the command, is to go and make disciples. Go help people follow Jesus. Go help people increasingly submit all of their lives to the lordship of Jesus. That's the command. I want to point out two angles. First, Jesus doesn't just say, he doesn't just say, therefore make disciples, does he? He says, go and make disciples. And that little word, go, is really important. It's not okay to make disciples when it's just convenient or when somebody comes along your path. We're called to go interject into other people's paths. We're called to step towards people. Practically, this is just reality in our life, in my life, it means we get off the couch and pursue people. It means we turn off the television and invite our neighbors over. It means we put our phone back in our pocket during lunch and talk to our coworkers. Or maybe like at, at, at the coffee shop, you don't have your headphones in. You, you, you have some awareness of maybe God has somebody around us that we can connect with. That's going. I want you to hear going and think intentionality, purpose, activity, movement. The Great Commission is not a wait and maybe, it's a go and make command. That's, that's the first part of this, intentionality. And the second part is, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, all nations. That does include this nation, for sure, and it includes every other nation on the planet. Every ethnicity, every tongue, every class, orphans, widows, foreigners, the richest and the poorest, those that are most like us and most different than us, everybody under the sun is in God's scope. He wants to save them. There are no people outside the scope of God's redemption plan. It doesn't matter how, how dark their lives seem or how difficult they seem or how different or scary than they seem. Jesus loves them and wants to save them. You cannot look into another person's eyes and not realize that Jesus sees them and cares about them. He does. He absolutely does. We need to be a church like that. Go and make disciples of all nations. We don't overlook anybody. There are no people outside his scope. I just want to stop here and realize, remember this, That you and I, if you trust in Jesus, will rejoice forever in heaven with him in perfect happiness because people took this command seriously before us. People heard this, they read this, and they thought, I'm going to go further than I would like to because I want people to know him. Like our lives were at stake to their obedience, whether they obeyed or disobeyed, meant we were alive or dead. Praise God, praise God. We're here on the other side of the planet from where Jesus was when he spoke because people did this. 
This is not... This is not some far-off idea. We are living fruit, testimony of this idea in action. What started in Jerusalem went to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, Minneapolis and beyond. So I want you to hear that this command to be intentional and go, to- go towards people is not just local and it's not just to people who are similar It is to different people here and around the world. Jesus will have every nation worshiping him. That is a fact. He will not stop until that happens. Isn't that awesome? He will not leave a nation without hearing the good news. He won't do it. That's pretty sweet. So reality for us is... That for some of us, we need to go across the street and share the gospel with people that are difficult and different than us. Minneapolis is full of diversity. There are so many nations and kinds of people in this city represented represented that we can pursue and go towards with the gospel. That has to happen. It's a near command for sure and Huge and, pause and, some of you are going to have to go across the sea with the gospel. Like the Schmitz or Beth. Some of us are going to have to say, I'm going to set aside my stuff here. I'm going to pack up my stuff and I'm going to go across the sea so that people will worship him forever. We have to be willing to ask that question. It's a big and scary question, but I just beg you, ask that question of the Lord. Lord, do you want me to go? So many times in my life, I've been afraid of that question. What if he said yes? What if he said yes? You know, if he says yes and I don't go, you know what that means? I'm not in his presence. I'm not with him. He went ahead and I stopped. I got scared. That's not a better place. That's not a better place. The best place is to be where God is, to be where God wants you. That's where joy and life abounds can be Richfield, it could be Afghanistan, it can be London, it can be Japan, it can be anywhere. If he calls you, maybe we be a church that goes. So with the command, second piece of the command, I want you to realize that your life is going to have to be intentional to go and make disciples. You're going to step towards people. You're going to pursue them the way you've been pursued. The way you've been pursued is by Christ first. And he set aside glory and came after you. That's the kind of pursuit we're talking about. And that it's going to be local and it's going to be around the globe. Pray big prayers. Seek his face. Have open hands. That's second piece, the command. Third piece, the curriculum. I wish I had a shorter, more palatable word there, but I'm trying to get C's. Look at the second half of verse 19. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I commanded you. So Jesus goes to his community, 
He gives this great command that he wants all people to know him. And then he gives us two pillars for how to do it. First, baptizing. So baptism is a very significant part of this. And, and praise God, we're going to baptize today, which is awesome. Uh, that's so cool. Uh, but I want to read Acts 2, 37 through 38. Not long after Jesus talks with his disciples right here, he goes to heaven, they go into a room, they start praying, the Holy Spirit falls on them, they're compelled out to people. Peter stands up and he starts preaching the gospel to thousands of people. And after he preaches, this is what it says. Now, when they heard Peter's message, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do now? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. So the gospel's preached. People are cut to the heart. They repent and are baptized. And we see new people enter into the family, right? That's what's happening at baptism. Baptism is the entrance into God's family. It's taking somebody who is an enemy of God and entering him as a, into the family of God. It's the front door. It's taking death off and putting life on in Christ. That's hugely significant. Discipleship is going to involve not just us encouraging each other, but us going and telling the gospel to people who don't even know Jesus. To follow the Great Commission is not just an in-here thing. We want to bring new people to know the love of God. Baptism is the public announcement that I have turned from my old way of life to Jesus. It's a new allegiance. It's a new identity. The old is gone. The new has come. That's what Jesus wants. He doesn't just want the current crew to grow. He wants new people to know who he is. So that's the first half of this curriculum, baptizing. It's the evangelistic front door. The second part is teaching. So a Christian life is not finished at baptism, right? You don't just get baptized and go, okay, I did it, done. Jesus wants us to go from death to life so that we can grow up into more and more of his image, to put off the old, put on the new, to look like him, to shine like light into the world. Christian, Jesus is not content leaving you the way he found you. And that's really good news. Really good news. He's going to fight with you to kill sin and bring the Spirit's fruit in your life. So teaching, and it's not just teaching ideas. It's not just teaching ideas. He says, teach them to obey. Obey. Jesus wants to teach obedience. Obedience is the key. So, so I want you to hear, I want you to hear that we are not just going to talk about ideas as a church. We are going to submit our lives to the truth as a church. We're going to stop doing certain things and start doing other things. We're going to say no to this and say yes to that. 
We're going to let Jesus peel away those things that choke out the goodness that he's working in our life and flourish, pour water on the things that are abundant in him. And that ties to the second half here of teaching. What does he say? Teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. It's extremely important. So listen up here. There is one, one standard for the Christian. One authority for the Christian. One teaching that has ultimate authority. It is Jesus' word. It's the word of God. It's not my opinion. It's not my opinion. It's not Ross or Sam or Scott or Daniel. When we're just talking about our opinions, that is not the single standard of the Christian life. God's word is. When we stand up here, we're trying to unpack God's word. And to the degree that which we do that is the degree it's powerful. That's because, church, I want you to realize, Jesus understood that we cannot continue the mission if we forget the message. We cannot continue the mission if we forget the message. Jesus knew that there had to be some sort of message that would work 2,000 years ago in Rome, on a mountaintop outside of, of Jerusalem and right now here in cold, miserable Minnesota. Right? And 10,000 years beyond. This has got to work if we got spaceships going to Mars. It will always be true, the backbone of, of reality itself. It will align everything we do as his people. It never goes out of style. What this means is that discipleship is impossible without God's word. We cannot grow up to follow him if we don't know what he said, what he's like, what he wants, what he values. His word tells us that. It's just like a pause moment. Do you know God's word? And I'm not, I'm not only saying, do you understand what it says? I'm saying, do you live like it? Is your life aligned with it? Are you submitted to it? And hear me, if, if <laughs> you might look at you probably look at the pastors and like, you guys went to, to Bible school and seminary and you spent a decade studying this stuff. Like, not everybody gets to study Greek and Hebrew for five years. That's true. So, well played. Um, but I would say, I would absolutely say, you can grow and learn the word like, like us and better. I know so many people that never went to seminary that know the Bible better than me, that follow it better than me. It is not a prerequisite to go to school for this. It can help, but it's not the only way. So don't use it as an, as an excuse. Come talk to me, talk to the pastors, talk to each other. If you feel like you don't know your Bible, we want to help. That's, that's, a, that's when we want to step right into and go, hey, let's get together. Let's open it up. Let's figure out. Let's learn. Let's submit our lives to that. Don't, don't, don't even let this week go by without you stepping towards somebody and asking for help. People want to help. In my life, I'll just, I'll just be honest, there's nothing more fruitful in my life than the ability to open God's word and hear from him, to understand what he's trying to tell me. The Bible is a love letter to us. I want to know what he says. I want to know how he loves us, how he loves me. 
And people for, for de a decade now have helped me learn how to do that better and better and better. And I just praise God for that. I want to do that for others. I want people to do that in this church. So take that seriously today. So that's number three, the, the curriculum. That we go to unbelievers and we preach the gospel and baptize those who believe. And that we teach the church, each other, them, to obey all that Jesus commanded. So time out. I'm going to breathe for a moment. That was kind of a lot. We've got three things. We've got this community, this imperfect community that God gives the command to. You have this, the command to go with intentionality, both locally and abroad with the gospel, to baptize people and train them up to obey all that Jesus said. That's a lot. That's why we're breathing. I want you to think with me, realize for a moment, if you feel overmatched or overwhelmed by this right now, that's probably right. <laughs> like you're not, you're probably understanding what he's saying if you feel that way, which is good, I think. That's why we save the best for last. So let's go to the fourth here, fourth piece. Confidence. Confidence. Jesus bookends the Great Commission with two amazing truths that completely flip this command from impossible to unstoppable. So I want to end our time soaking there. Look at verse 18. We're going to go back to verse 18. I skipped this, but here we go. All authority, this is Jesus talking, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. So before Jesus even gets to the command to make disciples, he says this amazing truth that Jesus Christ, our Lord and King, reigns supremely over everything on earth and in heaven. Like he is seated above everyone right now by the Father. So hear me, we do not get confidence from ourselves here. We get it from Jesus. We don't start with our abilities. We start with his supremacy. That's where we come from. We come from going, we have the sovereign king of the universe on our side. Yeah, I'll go. Sure, that sounds, that sounds like a winning path. That discipleship is grounded in the all-supreme authority of Jesus Christ. And what that means is that no matter what we face or fear on the journey of discipleship, Jesus is greater. No matter who we talk to, Jesus is greater. There's no obstacle that we can face that's stronger than him. There's no power of the devil that's stronger than him. Everything is under Jesus. You cannot come across something on the path of discipleship to which Jesus does not reign. I'm better. That's amazing. That is amazing. I just, like, what boldness rises in our hearts when we get this. All great Christian witness flows from an inner conviction that Christ is supreme over everything. So that's the first part of confidence. Take that with you. He is better and stronger and bigger than everyone and everything. 
Then look at verse 20. And behold, I am with you always unto the very end of the age. Presence is a powerful thing, right? Like um, when somebody's really hurting, we, we, we love when people just sit with us, right? Like you don't even need to say anything. You don't even need to do anything. But you're there, and that matters. It brings peace and comfort. You think about a child even like going out on stage for the first time or about to take the big shot and they see their parents out of the corner of their eye and immediately the fear starts to go down and the confidence starts to go up because they know mom and dad are right there rooting us on. Presence provides comfort and peace and we need that outside of ourselves. We need a greater one with us. So hear this promise from Jesus. I am with you always. I am with you always. And the wording here is emphatic. He's he's trying to say I, like, like myself, me, God, the risen Savior of the world is with you right now. There's not a day that goes by where you open your eyes and he's not with you, or close your eyes and he's not with you. You can't breathe a breath, Christian, without the presence of God with you. And he says, until the very end of the age. So it's not just that Jesus is with us in the micro moments, all of the days, he's with us then, but he's also with us on this big storyline of saving the world. Until the very end, he will not leave us until it is one. This is true because 2,000 years ago, he poured his spirit out on his disciples to never leave. And when you trust in Jesus, he fills you with that same spirit. So presence has this comfort dimension. And I think it also has an assurance dimension. Jesus is present to guarantee the outcome of the mission. We have the single greatest person on our side, right? Like Jesus single-handedly tilts everything in our favor. That's what he does. In the Old Testament, we have several pictures of this where God's presence proves decisive for victory. So think about Moses. Moses is terrified to go talk to Pharaoh. He's like, I can't even speak, and I was kicked out from there, and I'm not a very popular guy in Egypt right now. And God's like, what does he say? I will be with you, and this will be a sign for you that I've sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. His answer to Moses' fear is, I'm with you, Moses. Go. Joshua, right after that, he's completely overmatched and overwhelmed by taking over from Moses, right? And this this is what God says to Joshua. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just like I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Joshua going, I can't do this, God. God says, I'm with you. Of course you can. There's no doubt that you can. I'm with you. What are you scared about? Where are you stuck? I'm with you, Joshua. Let's get going. This is going to work. Jesus ties us together so that his, our failure would be his failure, and he does not fail. 
It guarantees the victory. So what this means is that we can, anywhere we go, his presence can give us confidence. We cannot go outside of the scope of where he is. So, let's kind of land this here. At All People's Church, we have, right, missional communities and DNA groups. Those are the primary vehicles that we've kind of come up with to do this discipleship together. They are the community, the imperfect community, that we go and make disciples with. Because we're not just content being with the Father and loving his family. Those are good things, but they're not enough. They're not enough. We want to go pursue people with the gospel. We have to go pursue people with the gospel. That means is in your MC, you have to know, you have to talk about who are we going towards? Who am I going towards? Text them, call them, meet with them on Wednesday. Say, I want to, I want to think about this. I want to plan for this. I want to, who am I pursuing? Am I pursuing anyone? Pray with them. I kind of feel like I should go further with the gospel. Where? What would it look like? Bring them into that. And when DNA groups, you can walk in and you can go, I'm doubting right now. I'm doubting. This is hard. This feels heavy. I'm not there. And bring them in to pray and encourage you, to remind you of the confidence you have in Christ. We need to live that way. We need to live together that way. So, I want us to think, make disciples as going to people intentionally with the gospel together so that all nations might know and believe that Jesus is God and good for them. We're gonna do that. That's part of our, that's our core value. It means we're not gonna forget this. We're not gonna move beyond this. We're gonna keep coming back to this. If you're part of this church, this is part of what we're going to do and be. Mark it down. And I just want to hit again, if, you, if you're here right now and you have a, you're living in a pattern of excuses for why you're not discipling other people, if that's you right now, trying to kind of skirt your way out of this, I pray that ends today. I pray that ends today. You have a community around you. You have a command from the king of the universe and you have confidence that he will never leave or forsake you. You are not overmatched. You do not need to have great faith. You have a great king. He's enough. So I want to close by tying this whole series together here. Because we want you, the pastors want you to feel conviction about these things. I don't just want you to hear it. I want you to feel the conviction we feel about these things. We want God's glory to fill the earth like the water fill, covers the sea. We want that. That's why we're, our vision is to glorify God by multiplying worshipers of Jesus and healthy churches here and all around the world. We're going to do that by daily and everyday life the grimy, mundane stuff of life, learning to follow him and help all kinds of people do the same. And as we do that, as those two rhythms take shape, be with the Father. 
You have to be with the Father. You have to remember who he is, how much he loves you, how he sent Jesus for you, how him and, and Jesus and the Spirit reign above everything and are with you until the very end of the age. No exceptions. He's going to give you his love so that you can love each other, build each other up, encourage one another, serve one another, forgive one another. What a powerful, powerful thing that is to see a community like that. And then he's going to call us to remember that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. So therefore, go and make disciples of every kind of people on the planet. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey every single thing Jesus said. And never forget, Christian, never forget that he is with you always until the very end of the age. There is no day that you go out under the banner of Christ in which you are not with him and empowered by him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much so much that you don't just give us a command and a curriculum and a community, but you give us confidence. Oh God, I pray that we would remember, realize what it means that you are with us always. That means also, God, that you see the days that we're checked out or that we're discouraged or that we're weak. And you don't walk away. You keep holding our hand. You keep walking with us. You build us up. You encourage us. You remind us that you're not here for a moment. You're here forever. You've bound yourself to us. And I pray, Lord, that this church would raise up people to go across the street with the gospel and across the sea with the gospel. Lord, help us not just shrink back to normal, easy life. Help us be intentional purposeful, active. Help me be that way, God. We need you, Lord. We know we have you, so we just want to celebrate that right now. Jesus, in your mighty and awesome and all-powerful name we pray, amen.